Welcome, everybody, to our, our latest in our series of podcasts. Uh, this podcast, we're joined by our great friend, uh, Tony Chueri, who uh, needs no introduction, but is a professor at Harvard and runs the GU group there. And Tony, welcome. You're talking about the 9ER study. The 9ER study is a randomized phase three trial. It's uh, for frontline metastatic clear cell renal cancer. It has many parallels to the AXI-PEMBRO and IPI-NEVO trial in that it's a PFS-OS trial um, with a one-to-one randomization of cabozatinib and nivolumab. Uh, the cabo is given at 40 milligrams. Um, and uh, and it's, um, it's been presented, um, presented recently, uh, or you've just presented it at ESMO, um, congratulations. It's a plenary session. It's obviously a big deal. Uh, we just want to give you give the opportunity to have a, a quick word about the top line results. And then Brown and I might ask some questions about what we think about, uh, about it. No, thank you for having me here, um, guys. And thank you for not having background noise. As usual. <laughs> it's not over yet. Yeah, no, no. Tom always just you, just you wait. Just you wait. Just, just keep, you keep wait. Keep the treadmill away. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we did present uh, Checkmate 90R at the virtual 2020 ESMO. This was a randomized phase three trial um, of uh, combo cabozantinib nivolumab versus sunitinib uh, over 650 patients. Unlike Checkmate 214, um, this was a trial in all risk group. The primary endpoint was um, an all risk group, IMDC favorable intermediate and uh, poor risk. The primary endpoint was progression-free survival by central review. And we had the usual typical, um, you know, secondary endpoint, although uh, there was a focus on um, getting the health-related quality of life data, um, you know, earlier. So we did present that during ESMO. Um, and, and the combination actually comes from, um, you know, a strong rationale that each drug um, has an approval as a single agent in the second-line study uh, setting based on an overall survival. And the fact that even frontline study, Cabozantin is approved, and Nivolumab is approved in combination with Ipilumumab. So it's the natural uh, trial to do. Uh, original uh, phase one done by Dr. Andrea Apollo at the NCI suggested that the combination, um, you know, is tolerated uh, nivolumab with sunitinib, um, you know, or pazopinib, which was not a tolerated uh, combination. Um, and uh, those we agreed on uh, is cabozantinib at 40 uh, with full dose nivolumab. Um, so the trial met uh, all primary and all endpoint of efficacy, progression-free survival, overall survival, response rate, uh, were uh, meaningfully, uh, were clinically meaningful. Um, in the progression-free survival was doubled. Um, the overall survival um, has a ratio. So the PFS, so Tony, the PFS has ratio was 0.51, and the OS has a ratio was 0.60. The response rate was 56%. Um, and the grade 3 um, four SAE rate was, I think, 73%. Um, and the quality of life data favoured the combination. 
Um, just tell me about how you think that data, whether that data was better than you anticipated or was it bang on with what you anticipated? Did the control arm perform as you expected? Um, were there any areas of the trial that you look back on that concerned you or exceeded your yeah, expectations? Yeah, no, question, you know, Chris. If, if you left me talking, it'd be an hour. <laughs> so I'm glad. <laughs> I, I think, uh, yes, I do think it did exceed a bit my expectation because, honestly, guys, w when you do a newer trial, with a control arm that hopefully would not exist anymore, uh, sunitinib. You know, um, you know, you, you do not expect uh, a strong overall survival due to subsequent therapy. So the fact that we have a, a good overall survival uh, signal here is uh, quite um, positive. Yes, yeah, so Tony, um, I just want to cut in and, and emphasize that I think the concern of the field maybe would be that these later trials that the OS signal would be washed out. And people had yeah. said when Axipembro was presented, well, had you given just TKI first, then I.O., you'd get the same results. But clearly that's not true, right? Correct. Correct. Because I assume so, most people got or will get subsequent therapy. I mean, Tony, what was access to subsequent therapy? I've got a number of 47% kicking around yes, in my head. Yes, and the short um, follow-up. So remember, Tom, one way to look at it is like how many patients are still on uh, Cabonivo that or sunitinib that right. did not get subsequent therapy. But it seems when we look in line with other uh, trials. Yeah. Now so Tony, Tony, Axipembro has got response rates of 60%. It hit an initial hazard ratio of 0.53 that went down to 0.68 with more mature follow-up. And it had a PFS of 15.1 months um, with a hazard ratio. I think I can't 0. remember, 6, Brian. You 0. remember it's about yeah, 0.69. Um, just, you know, but I guess everyone and, and you, you and Brian are both on the call and we're probably well qualified to address this question. Um, can we compare these two? Is one better or worse than the other? If so, where does that happen? Um, what, so let, let's start with you, Tony. I'll come to you, Brian. I afterwards. mean, it's hard to compare. On the other hand, Brian knows that it will not be possible to have a superiority or a non-inferiority trial, the chances near zero of Carbonino versus Pembroaxi. This will not happen. The field is moving very fast. We're drinking from a hose. On the other hand, I would say both have control arms in it, and both are larger studies. Uh, both have independent central review. So we could look a bit uh, but they are a bit different. The, uh, the favor risk group is higher in, um, you know, Pembroaxi. Also, though, sunitinib did very well in Pembroaxi. Is it because of the favorable risk group? It's only 10% more. I don't know. Uh, Checkmate 9ER, sunitinib, control arm, PFS, is the same as Atizobab, a study that uh, Brian led or Axiavilimab, a study we led with Bob Mozer. So it's the same performance, eight months, eight, 8.2 months. So I think what's going to differentiate maybe 9ER, and I'm saying maybe because, again, uh, these quality of life questionnaire, at least in, um, in uh, efficacy, we talk about PFS, OS, response rate, and we move on. Um, but in quality of life questionnaire, many are very different. But if you look at the quality of life um, questionnaires in um, 90R, there is an improvement, stability or an improvement compared to sunitinib control 
with sunitinib questionnaires uh, intake taken at the same time as pembrolizumab. So this is a bit similar, knowing that um, you know still this is not inside the same trial. So is this going to be a deal breaker? Possibly, possibly. Brian, over to you, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think as as you like to say, Tom, from the back of the room, I think they look very similar. You know, response rates fifty five to sixty percent. CR rates, 10% axipembro, and I think 8% here. Um, PFS, you know, median PFS, a little higher with Cabo Nevo, but hazard ratio lower, but because sunitinib arm performed less well for whatever reason. And the OS hazard ratio, which, of course, comparing hazard ratios across trials, statisticians would have a heart attack, but at a comparable point of follow-up, which I believe was 18 months here and in, in uh, Axie Pembroke's European filing was about the same, was, was almost identical. So, I, you know, I don't personally see huge differences in efficacies. Um, again, immature data for both, both sets, you know, and we'll have to sort of follow it over time. But I think what we're seeing is that TKI plus a PD-1 inhibitor is going to produce pretty similar results. PD-L1 is a different story. That's clearly not as active. But TKI plus PD-1 inhibitor we're seeing high response rates, CR rates in the 10%, you know, and the other, the other. I think toxicity could be differentiating and we need to find out more about that. You know, I think we just need some more detail Tony, about that. Tony, yeah. Tony, talk to me about the dose reduction and the dose of CABO because a lot of patients ended up on 20 milligrams of CABO in the trial. Um, is that driving the good quality? I mean, it, it, it could. It doesn't matter at the end of the day because it did not impact efficacy. So that is a 50% reduction with both CABO and uh, sunitinib. Though the treatment-related discontinuation of CABO is very low. So people, I think what the community is using CABO, um, you know, more so they're doing their due diligence and um, even the investigator on the trial. So that's a good sign. I think one thing more to add, because Brian is right, makes the right point, is the totality of the data. And when we want to compare, it, it, you know, that we could compare Pembroaxia and Cabo Nevo. It's hard to compare to Nevo Ipi because of the extended medium follow-up. So when I put, when I put, when I get, when I, whenever I want to get the statistician a heart attack, let's say, and I want to compare both, at least I will compare them with similar median follow-up. Um, so it will be good to see what Cabo Nevo hazard ratio uh, for OS gonna go because it went to 0.68 with um, yeah. Embroaxi. I'd, I'd predict it's gonna settle out at the same. I think all these 214, 426, 90 are all gonna settle out in that high 0.6, low 0.7 range as follow so, continues. So the way one hey, can Tom, look can at I this... push back on quality of life a little bit? Are we done yeah, with yeah, that far topic? Away. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 you come back to it. Come back I've, to I've it. not seen the 90R quality of life data. So with that caveat, I just, I think the, I guess my point would be is I don't think those questionnaires really capture quality of life. And this is not my expertise, but I see regimens that have, for both, that have high grade three events, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you look at the quality of life data, it always sort of looks level. And that's not my experience taking care of patients. So I guess my only pushback would be I just, I think there's different ways to understand toxicity of a regimen and impact on a patient. And I'm not sure the questionnaires are perfect in capturing that.
I, I, I don't know. I think I, I do think the overall grade system, in my opinion, has failed us big time because it, it I look, agree with that. Look, I at agree, the, agree. look at the all grade on each arm is 99 percent in each arm always. Sure. And now that we have to say treatment, we cannot say anymore. Possibly, likely, maybe we have to say treatment related or not. I can tell you in my experience. You know, if I can really not completely roll out like someone run by a car, you know, sometimes automatically it's treatment related. You, I'm not that smart to know what is this related or not, especially when I have yeah. two drugs together. I do think, yeah, though, one thing, Brian, is the totality of the data and robustness. So one thing we're going to see also is the investigator assessed PFS and response rate which look really, um, I think, may also give a 90R a bit more, uh, you know, uh, bang for the buck. Although, you know, you and I and Tom, <laughs> we're moving towards getting the third drug on and moving past this because they will not be a comparison study. You agree with me? A comparison yeah, study of course. Of, of course. two drugs versus two drugs will not right. Yeah, Tony, no, quick, a quick, a couple of quick questions before we kick off. Important questions. So, number <laughs> one is because uh, most of them of mine haven't been that great so far. But I hope this is, yeah, but I hope this is going to get better. Um, so, you've got a choice now. I think when the Axi Pembro data came out and the Axi Valimab data came out, people said, "Well, these two seem to be going in different directions," and that had that raised that raised some questions about whether the Axi Pembro data was an outlier because clearly Bevatezo had also struggled. Does the Cabo-Nevo data now swing the pendulum away from Ipinevo and towards VEGF-targeted therapy plus immune therapy, or is there still equipoise there? That was a better question, Tom. That was a good Thank one. You. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, really good one. Yeah, it's a long question. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony. I didn't realize I was open to that criticism. <laughs> We're both coming hard on you because there is no noise in the background. I'm a bit worried. I actually had to give a tourism direction to St. Paul's tube station. So I'm doing this. So actually, I've done extremely well during this talk. If you could try and address the question, um, Tony, that'd be super cool. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, go, go ahead. What's the question? The question Ryan, was, given, why don't you try and answer given, it, given your 90R data, does okay. the pendulum swing more towards TKIO versus Ipinevo? Tom's point was that there were two out of three trials, you know, Axiovelumab and Atezobev that were a little weaker and Axipembro was an outlier. But now with these data, you ha now have two solid phase threes with, you know, really important clinical results, robust clinical results. Does that swing the pendulum for the field more towards TKIO or not? I think for the community, probably yes. And uh, despite, I think many, I'm seeing more and more Nevo Ipi, there is still some scare from using uh, IPI, despite I have to tell you three months and you are done, and it's the data that has the most follow up. But Brian, and, and, and but you are right. I think here that now you have two out of three, um, two a trial compared to one, and especially if you add um, if you add Pembrolen, and if it has the same efficacy for OS, which we know the study finish accrual and hopefully gonna read at some point, then I would say three versus one. Um, then I would say yes. And you have reported, Brian, and we have reported on even Nevo Epi post IO given together, they have a response. So I'm seeing in the community um, a lot of VEGF IO 
followed by uh, Nevo Epi based on your report and our report. So it is very possible that two and maybe later three versus one will sway the community to just go by VEGFIO. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I don't think we want to have the Epi Nevo versus TKIO debate on this podcast, but uh, I think if you have more options, Right. So with Ipinevo, you have that one option. It's one or nothing. And now if you have two or three options, that might give providers a little flexibility if they're more of an Axie giver, more of a Cabo giver, more of a Len giver, et cetera. I mean, I think we all took part in all three or all four trials. I mean, my impression on it, on it is, is that the VEGFTKI immune combinations are better at getting initial control of disease. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I saw a, clinic, a patient in clinic half an hour ago uh, who's on cycle three, um, Ipi Nevo, who's got a new liver metastasis and we're switching her across to Cabo. I think you, you do lose some patients along the way early in that process um, with, uh, with Ipi Nevo. That's my experience of this. The great thing about Ipi Nevo, I think, is that, as you say, Tony, the survival data looks good. The hazard ratio looks fine. And, and of course, the, uh, the quality of life and the you know, four cycles and you've done is really appealing to patients. Um, I suspect from a community perspective, it's probably a bit easier to give VEGFTKI immune therapy, uh, start it, get onto it pretty quickly. I suspect it's probably easier to manage um, because I, the, the toxicities, the immune toxicity is probably less, quite, less unpredictable. So I think it really is a complicated question, but I do think the pendulum probably is swinging a bit towards that with these two trials, with, which, which are essentially reproducible results. Can we talk about the bone met results? Tony, do you want to talk about the subset of bone mets? Because we've been hearing I that could. about. It will, be pre- it will be presented on Saturday. Um, you know, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we have to cut this because we're supposed to be doing it live. But yeah, the bone met result, all the subgroup, um, and this was not, um, this is in the presentation. All the subgroup, uh, Brian and Tom, uh, showed benefit for PFS and OS. There was no surprise. PDL1, IMDC, bone metastases, um, you know, all of them, they were consistent. Was there a greater advantage in this subset with bone mets or, or not? Let me check. Uh, Did uh, it... There was, yes. So it, it goes again, it goes again um, the same story. So I'll, I'll push back on that. What I saw was pretty overlapping confidence intervals for bone mets, yes or no, in the forest plot. You know, that I thought the, the effect of Cabo Nevo over Sutent was pretty similar, regardless of whether you had bone mets or not. That's what I'm pushing on is the, this theory that Cabo works better in bone mets. I'm skeptical. I don't think that's the case. I don't think there's data to support it, but, but I'm, I'm happy for you to debate me on that. Yeah, no, I, I do. I do think there is data. There isn't a. I think that the the data when you look at the hazard ratio. I mean, it's hard to you know always just look at the ninety five confidence interval in one subgroup and say, well, they're overlapping. I think in the bone metastases, um, you know, um, the hazard ratio was was lower. Uh, for uh, overall survival and was lower for progression-free survival, more so for progression-free survival than overall survival. Although I would say the data for OS may mature and go in the same angle. Coupled with the data with uh, Cabo Sun that showed consistently 
the hazard ratio in bone map is, you know, lower, uh, as well as with Meteor, the study from Bernard Escudier, where we also looked at uh, some bone markers, um, turnover, they all collectively as a package, if you want, uh, you know, favor probably cabozantinib in bone. But I do agree with you that perhaps if this is becoming a, such a big deal with cabo and bone metastases, that we should have a trial with cabozantinib uh, focused on bone metastases. And as a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Raina McKay is leading the study that just opened out of Alliance of cabozantinib plus radium 223 versus cabozantinib uh, alone in patients with uh, clear and non-clear cell RCC who have uh, bone metastases and were previously treated. Good, good plug for a trial. I love it. Um, <laughs> so, so where does this regimen go? I mean, where do you think the field goes from here? We're waiting um, Brian, for last, I've, got, I've got a last question beforehand. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, out <laughs> Tom <laughs> has to be in charge. He just can't always, give up. No, always that's, then. Not what this is, that's not what this is about. That's not <laughs> what this is about. He is a cancer center director, both you and I. Yes. I don't think we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here we go. yeah. Look, look, good risk, favorable risk patients. We haven't talked about those. Fine. Lots of people ask me about favorable risk patients. Should we be treating Axipembro or Cabonevo with favorable risk patients? I, I, I think they have many options. I think favorable risk, they can be, some of them, first of all, rather than have a knee-jerk reflex, when you have a favorable risk and your fellow have calculated that, you have to look at the scan and see how much disease really there is. Because they could be, you know, what Brian showed us many years ago, uh, that a lot of these patients uh, could be observed simply because they have very low disease burden overall. And they tend to be favorable, although they're not always in the same direction. So that's one, surgical resection two. And three, you know, I had some people that needed uh, the two drugs, but I think it is okay to do single agent TKI. I've seen people doing single agent IO, but if you wanna go by the progression-free survival data, not the OS, which is gonna be, you know, in Pembroaxi is over one in, um, in Cabonivo, it's still uh, less than uh, one uh, for now. Uh, hopefully, it will still stay less than one. But if you want to go by PFS data, it's clear. There's a PFS advantage. Brian, so I would say, yeah. Basically, what we're talking about is, do you want to add IO to your frontline VEGF? What you get from that, at least from Maxi Pembro data, and I think from Cabonivo as well, is a higher response rate by about 20% higher CR rate and a longer PFS. You're probably not going to get an OS signal. Those hazard ratios are on either side of one. So that may or may not play out over time. So either you value those tumor shrinkage advantages, which may or may not be relevant to an individual patient. To me, the biggest reason to give it is that single agent TKI doesn't cure anybody, right? There is, there is no patient, there are no patients that are cured with single agent TKI. I think there are patients cured with these combos. So if I walk in the door tomorrow with favorable risk kidney cancer into your clinic, Tom, give me an IO-based combo, right? Yeah, and I so think you I guys feel, would say I the feel same this, thing. I, so I feel the same way. I don't want to give patients VEGF TKI as a good risk disease. I look at it the same way. And part of me kind of wants to let them drift into an intermediate risk. I don't do this, obviously. So you can give them immune therapies so they can have a shot at long-term durable remission. And so rather than do that, I can see the advantage in giving Axipembro or Epinevo. And, you know, I think there was, um, I think the Chinese ambassador for, for London was asked what he thought of the French uh, revolution. IMDC favor risk? 
No, he wasn't asked specifically about that, although it's a good point. He wasn't. He was asked what he thought of the French Revolution. And he said it's too early to tell. And, um, and I think this applies too. I think it's too early to tell what the effect of long-term effect of immune therapy is in these patients. But with Axipembro and Cabonevo, I don't think it's doing any harm. And it might actually result in long-term durable remissions in a large proportion of those patients, which isn't happening with VEGF therapy. I don't think the Chinese ambassador understood the nuances of that particular <laughs> argument. Uh, I, I but, think, you know, the French Revolution, 1789, I want to see kidney cancer cured in my lifetime. I am not, I'm going to ignore this, but I can tell you, I, I want to push back. It's a good strategy. I, I want to push back. I, I, what Brian has said makes sense, although I've seen the majority of the community saying, well, the studies were comparing VEGFIO versus sunitinib, and in favor risk, we can do sunitinib. I want to argue, despite the evidence is lower, I want to argue that if you look at uh, HCRN, the trial by Mike Atkins, Hans Hammers, if you look at other uh, studies, the uh, one from Europe, a single, if you look at the single agent immune checkpoint inhibitor in untreated patients with favor risk, these patients do very, very well. Uh, so, you know, I, I think in this situation, you can do whatever you want with favorable risk, but do not, you can do TKI, IO, or IOTKI, but I would not discount the patient that could be observed or the patient that could be surgically resected and rendered NED. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, Tony, it sounds like Brian's on his way into his garage. Uh, yeah. Gonna, uh... <laughs> I got to go to work. We're yeah, going to, uh, I, I, I have I, I have a I have a Chinese uh, lesson now, Chinese history lesson. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, went. talk about that yeah. French Revolution thing, Tony. I'm sure that listen, uh, it would be terrific to uh, to catch up with you soon. As always, thanks for your time today, Brian. Good luck on your journey to work, uh, Tony. <laughs> congratulations on your plenary session again. Uh, I hope that uh, we hope to see it in in press relatively soon. Uh, and best Thank wishes. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.